Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, it is evening here, um, September the 25th. I made it back in time. I had a little five-hour drive back from Maine. Barely. As I said, you've been driving up and down the East Coast this last <laughs> I really have. I've done, I think I've put more miles in the car in the last three weeks than I have in probably the last two years. But um, I uh, we, was just up in, in beautiful Rangeley, Maine. Have you ever been? uh that does not i've been to maine but red rangely does not ring a bell yeah it's on the it's on the western side i guess it's reasonably close to sugarloaf that was like what the okay. 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 advertising i don't i can't say that for certain because i didn't see any signs for sugarloaf itself but there were a lot of advertisements in there but i did see some other signs on on my on my drive up there and they weren't um they maybe were what you what you'd expect for but maybe not any guesses I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't set that up very well, but I thought it was very interesting that once I got off of 95 in Maine, and I'm on, I think I was on like Route 202 or four. I saw probably ten different signs for firearms and firewood. No two, two essentials. You know? <laughs> no yeah. fireworks though, and I thought that was interesting because I figured only it, only New Hampshire. Ah, okay. Learn something new every day. Certainly do, and hopefully we're going to learn a lot more today. Yeah. Well, with that, what are, what what do we got? What are we talking about this week? We are tremendously fortunate to be joined by another wonderful guest. We're going to be joined in a minute by Kareen Hajar, who I'll give her a bigger bio when she comes on, but is a current writer for the Boston Globe, formerly of the Wall Street Journal and National Review, Harvard grad. And she is a young writer and reporter, but tremendous. She has has reported uh, a ter- tremendous amount in in depth on immigration, and so we feel like she's in a unique position, given her background and the history of like where she has reported, to provide a, a, an important perspective to a conversation that you and I have been wanting to have for a little while now, given how immigration. While it seems like it's always an issue, seems to be even more of an issue in recent months. Yeah, I we're so lucky to have someone who's like actually um, talked to people and done both sort of talking to migrants, but also just like in both in both uh, like along the border in Texas and then also in New York. Um, so very excited to to talk to her. Yeah. So before we bring her on, just a quick reminder, everyone out there, the podcast is brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen over at Cannon Hill Woodworking. They've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in Boston since 2018. That's Cannon with two ends. You can check them out on Instagram or visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. Ricky, in honor of the writers and the Hollywood studios reaching a tentative agreement to break their strike, I wanted to make sure that you were aware that the palm trees in Hollywood all have had illustrious acting careers you just searched wood puns in <laughs> look i was so relevant too that was good all right oh, oh, there we go they would appreciate it all right uh let's bring on kareem All right, we are now thrilled to welcome Kareen Hajar onto the program. Uh, Kareen is a, an opinion writer and editorial writer at the Boston Globe. She previously completed the Fund for American Studies Joseph Rago Memorial Fellowship for Excellence in Journalism, quite the title, at the Wall Street Journal editorial board, where she edited op-eds and covered immigration, crime, and elections. Prior to that, she worked uh, for the National Review, where she covered immigration at the southern border from Del Rio, Texas. So with everything happening with immigration these days, we felt like the 
Kareen was uniquely situated, having covered this subject in Texas and in New York and now in Boston. So we're thrilled to welcome Kareen to the show. Uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. So just like big picture wise, for someone who's still early in, in that career, you've written extensively on immigration, like I said, in, in three different locations. But how did you get into covering this subject in general? Well, it was always an area of interest just because my mom's an immigrant. She's from Venezuela. She came over to the U.S. in the late 90s. So she's been here for a while. But um, I've seen a lot of her family go through the immigration process. So but it was I never intended for it to be my main area of focus. <laughs> um, it just so happened that I was kind of in the right place at the right time. When I was at National Review, I noticed that Title 42, which was a pandemic era limit on asylum at the southern border, wasn't really being covered broadly in the media. And, and I kind of got on that beat and all of a sudden it blew up in 2022. So, and in 2021 as well. So um, that it was just, you know, good, good timing. Uh, I also grew up speaking Spanish. So it, it allowed me to tell migrant stories as well. And I think that's really important when you're covering this issue. Well, for better or for worse, immigration is a huge topic and something that's like we said, been, has been very much in the news recently. But one of the things Ricky and I have talked about is that like it almost feels like every time we have a national election coming up immigration's back in the news so from your perspective what if anything is unique about the current immigration crisis as as many people would call it now as opposed to the immigration crisis we had five years ago or ten years ago I mean, yeah, th this this issue is always politicized no matter what. I think that this is the first time where where all the hype is is truly, truly worth it. I mean, this is at least in the last five years. This is, these are some record breaking numbers this month. There was a day or this past month, there was a day where encounters at the southern border reached near 10,000. They're averaging out around 8000 a day. And that's truly a breaking point just in terms of operation down at the southern border. Um, but I think the other main issue and, and factor in all of this political conversation is that people up north are seeing the impacts of immigration now. It's not just being absorbed by all of these border communities. It is really spreading far and wide. Um, so so it's something that, that people are coming into contact with more. Uh, you can see it in New York City. You can see it in Boston. And, and that didn't used to be the case. Right. So you you've written how... We had Eric Adams in in New York City declared a state of emergency, and then uh, Mara Healy, governor up here in, in Massachusetts, just recently last month declared a state of emergency. That follows other states of emergencies in, in cities like Chicago. Uh, what pressure, if any, does that put on like the the Biden administration now that it seems to be coming, maybe hitting home more in these blue areas? Well, certainly it, it puts a lot of optics on the issue, which the president is surely not happy about. Um, Mayor Adams a few months ago has dropped off the reelection campaign. Um, so I think that was kind of a sign that the Biden camp is not happy about how outspoken he's he's been. Um, but actually, the I think that these these blue state leaders are, are feeling uh, they're probably taking a victory lap right now because the Biden administration is granting TPS to all Venezuelan migrants. So um, that will just help expedite the work permit process, which might help alleviate pressures by allowing people to be able to make a living for themselves. Yeah, so two things to that. One, the the Venezuelan thing that just happened, I believe like three or four days ago, and it, it seemed like President Biden was going, was backtracking a little bit on what he said he was going to do. And Secretary, Secretary Mayorkas had come out and, and said that like, we still strongly discourage people. This is not to encourage people to come here illegally, but this will like potentially help alleviate some of the stresses that uh, are being caused by like this migrant crisis. But you've written extensively like this intersection between labor, like labor issues and migrant issues. So can you just talk a little bit more about like how you see those issues intersecting and what, if anything, this Venezuelan move does to address those issues? Well, right now, the central tension, especially when you're looking at blue cities and states, is that uh, you have folks filling up the shelters that can't work. And it just so happens that in places in New York and places like Massachusetts, there's a really strong need for labor. So uh, some people could look at this as good timing. 
sadly, the way that the law is structured, um, and this is something that I don't know why the Biden administration didn't take into account, but it's not like you can get here and snap your finger and get a work permit. And so uh, the process kind of forces people either into the shadows or forces them to wait in shelters, probably living, you know, in a way that they did not envision. Right. So um, that, that's the crisis that you're seeing in, in cities right now. Um, you know, cer certainly, I think that people who want to come work and contribute as a lot of the families that I've come into contact with, that's what they say. They really are here to work and, and create a better life for their families. And I think that's commendable. Uh, the way that the system is structured right now doesn't accommodate that easily. So you have a lot of people waiting in legal limbo to be able to do that. And there's no clear path to it. Uh, and, and so the Biden administration's first mistake was allowing all these people to come in under certain legal standing that's not clear. Um, it makes their legal status quite unclear going forward, which is just instability for them. And then also, you know, granting blanket work permit claims, no matter what Mallorca says about um, don't, this doesn't mean the border is open. It does serve as a magnet. Uh, so uh, I, I think that the Biden administration needs to have a concrete plan on I mean, number one is always immigration reform, and that falls on Congress as well, um, but also a way to address the incentives that they're creating. I, 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 th I think you bring up a lot a lot of really interesting points. I guess um, maybe I'll try and take this in one direction at a time. How, in thinking about like sort of the special status for Venezuelan immigrants in this particular situation, but we've done this in the past with Cubans and um, a number of other groups, depending on sort of who we like and who we don't like <laughs> at, abroad at the time. Um, how does that sort of impact the dynamic of, um, of, of immigration and, and sort of how does it then impact how, you know, this policy is either helping or hurting? It's just it's just a mix of help and hurt. You know, you have like a lot of people here who are ready to work and contribute and, you know, they're sitting in shelters and a lot of them are ready to work. So there is immediate help in that this will help a Venezuelan population that has gone through, you know, authoritarian dictatorship for years uh, and, and you know, crime and all that comes with that, um, be able to work and support their families. But I think that when we're thinking about immigration in the U.S., especially with such a broken system, you have to think really big picture about incentives and sustainability. And it's just not sustainable to keep um, telling people the border's closed, but we're going to grant, you know, blanket work permits. We're going to blanket work permits to, to this group of people. Um, and now the pressure is going to be on from activists, from migrants to extend these to different groups as well. Um, so in a lot of ways, this is really breaking the system. Um, and I think that the best thing for the Biden administration to do would be to sit down with people on the left and the right and say, how can we make the system work to bring the people in that we need, uh, the people that want to contribute to this community without using the legal loopholes that that exist um, that break the system in the way that we're seeing right now? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Ricky and I were talking briefly before you came on. And I said, to me, this seems like a band-aid for a bullet hole. Like, this is like, oh, like we're going to temporarily, and this seems to be like what we've been doing collectively, Biden administration back through the, the Trump, Obama, Bush administration. It's just yeah. like patch it here, patch it there. And there's no comprehensive reform. So kind of a, a, two questions on that. One, do you think the Biden administration is just going to have to own this, even though this is really Congress's problem? I mean, it, he, he promised to own it. That was one of his main uh, campaign promises. And uh, I think he's done quite the opposite. So I, I do think I, in, in an ideal world, it would be great to see the president step up and, uh, you know, use some of that unity that he talked about at the inauguration and, and try to bring together party leaders to sit down and think about uh, comprehensive reform. But it's just not what we're seeing. And I think you know, in fact, the policy is just breaking things down to such a level that I think that there will be political ramifications over this for years to come. And, and it's really a shame because, you know, there, the U.S. should have a very uh, should have the best immigration system in the world and should lead in that area. And uh, we're a country of immigrants. And to, to see this issue become, you know, just political football is really frustrating. Totally agree. Having been able to go down 
to the southern border and then also having sort of the benefit of being in New York City to sort of see what is happening sort of boot you know boots on the ground kind of thing what are some of the things that you think like are are low-hanging fruit that we should be doing immediately that we're not doing well I think that the first thing is that there needs to be um certain there needs to be securing of the border in in to some degree um because what's happening right now is that folks are coming in and asking for asylum and the Biden administration is is largely letting most people who ask in um and and what that's doing is pulling border patrol agents um there are two types of border patrol agents in this context you think about the people at the ports of entry and then the people out in the field the people out in the field are no longer out in the field so what that's doing is is just pulling everyone towards the ports towards processing duties and uh it's allowing a lot of not great people to enter in between who are taking advantage of the situation. Cartels are really taking advantage of the situation. We hear a lot about the the drug issues, but, uh, and the drugs pouring through the border. But I mean, there's been a spike in people on terrorist watch lists come, come through the border. And those are just the ones we know about. So I think that that is, is a really, is an immediate issue. Um, I think also just I don't know exactly what the answer to this would be because it's so complicated, but there's a lot of child trafficking and sex trafficking uh, and and there should be more resources down there to really vet the people who are coming through and make sure that they're OK and, and that, you know, they're not being whisked off into into a terrible situation. Yeah, I think those are all really serious issues with what's happening right now, and you're very much right to put Put them to like the front of this conversation. I think one of the things in reading your reporting on this that I found really refreshing was that in addition to addressing these really con- like serious concerns, you also provide like the other side of the picture too of of migrants who are here legally, whether from Venezuela or from Afghanistan or from Ukraine, who are still now are like as you said like are in this legal limbo which is stressing the states like Massachusetts and New York and Illinois and so many others so much so in addition to like pairing the the securing the border can you talk a little bit more about like what you would recommend or what governor Healy or mayor Adams is asking for in terms of the immigrants that are here legally what more can we be doing so that taxpayers in these states are not paying for these people just to sit in shelters all day. Right. I, th- I think that work permits is is a big issue. The problem with granting TPS um, broadly is, is the, you know, we've talked about the incentives, but also just the U.S. government doesn't have the processing power right now to deal with kind of this, the legal loophole process that has been created by this administration. Some migrants are filing, you know, multiple applications for multiple things, and it's super confusing. And and talking to immigration experts and lawyers, they don't even get it sometimes. And there are so many pathways in now that it is impossible to understand. I think that leaders calling for work permits is it's important in the short term. Certainly, it will help alleviate some of the stress. And and if you're here, you should work and you should contribute and and you know be able to provide for your family. But um, it's it, it's a band aid solution. And and the real thing that they're afraid to say is that we need to secure the border. Actually, Adams made a comment alluding to that a week ago or a week or two ago. But I, I think that they're getting there because they're realizing that work permits are not going to stop people from coming. There and and I don't know, you know, with the number of people arriving to these different places, even if a certain group start getting work permits faster, you're still gonna be having plenty of people who need help. Um, and, and I think you know it's commendable to see all of the all hands on deck in these cities and states uh, trying to accommodate these folks, but there is a limit, and we're reaching that limit. Yeah. Speaking of that, can you talk a little bit about why? Places like Boston and New York and their right to shelter laws have made the, the the crisis so much worse for these cities recently. Well, I mean, people know that they can come here and get shelter and, and, and you know, come to New York City and, and basically anyone get shelter. If you're in Massachusetts, that's more families um, and pregnant women. But um, it, it just it just puts a strain on the administration. Uh, when they reach these these points of you know of shelter being completely full and and dwindling housing, um, and their hands are tied and they 
need to keep fulfilling this? What I mean, are they pulling it out of thin air? It's becoming really difficult for these administrations and especially in, in Massachusetts, which is having a housing crisis right now. It's really hard not only to find physical space and, and space that's safe, but also people to operate these places. And so you're seeing... Um, the Boston Globe ran an ed- we ran an editorial on this last week about how the Red Roof Inn in Sutton, uh, it was eighteen odd rooms were rented out, uh, and and migrants were sent there basically alone. The town had very little notice; they had to step up and accommodate these folks. But a fire broke out there, and so it seems like the the state is scrambling so much that they can't do their due diligence on where people are going. Uh, and the National Guard only got there a few days after, so. Uh, you're just seeing kind of the breakdown of, of the shelter that's being offered. Uh, in your experience, how are the how are many of these migrants like first time entrants in the United States getting up here to Boston and New York? I know that like, you know, if we follow the times or whatever, you're you're hearing about the off the buses from uh, Governor Abbott or the flights from DeSantis. But it, just in your experience, is that is that contributing at all? Or or is it just that they know that in the North they're sanctuary cities, so that's where they head? Um, That's certainly, I mean, those programs certainly exist. uh, And I've I've seen some of those buses before. And I covered some of those buses that were arriving at the Port Authority last year. But uh, you're also seeing federally funded buses and and buses funded by FEMA money. And then there are a lot of NGOs at the border who are helping folks just get to where they want to go. Um, and a lot of times, you know, people are told New York will shelter you and will give you resources. So it would make sense that different organizations, people would, would send folks there if they have nowhere else to go somewhere like Boston is seeing a high influx of Haitian migrants and there's a big Haitian population in Boston. So that's a lot of word of mouth drawing them to Boston. Um, so really people are arriving all types of ways. There were federally funded planes that were bringing people to New York last year. So with that, I think a lot of people on the right kind of see the reaction of these politicians up north as like this kind of great irony or schadenfreude, like uh, where you were pretty much like, hey, everyone's welcome here. And you, you, you lambasted President Trump and the Trump administration for his border policies. And it was all well and good until all of a sudden it's it's your cities and your states that are being over, overrun. And now it's a state of emergency and you're, everyone's looking around and saying, well, we can't have this continue. And this, I think Politico just came out this morning with an article about the Biden administration had floated a plan about maybe making uh, some places in New Jersey uh, like uh, asylums or shelters for because New York City is so overwhelmed with with migrants right now and everyone in new jersey democrats republicans like we're like hell no like we're not we're not not in my state and this is where it becomes like oh well it's really easy one texas and arizona and nevada are the ones dealing with it but it's uh now that it's up here you know so i'm just like the the dynamics have shifted it seems to me within the last year have you kind of seen that too Certainly. And I think it I think it just goes to show, uh, you know, these were these were groups of people that were really uh, criticizing border towns and cities for asking for help. And and I went down there and these places are completely overwhelmed. And you have local PDs that don't have that much funding and don't have that many officers having to deal with different, um, you know, smuggler, high speed smuggler chases, having to do extra securing of local schools. Um, doing overtime shifts, you have, you know, this, this has been a reality for them forever. And, and again, this is not just a Biden issue. I mean, numbers were very high under Trump too, but um, you know, it's just getting worse. And I think that, you know, the, the limit is being reached in, in places where they never conceived of anything like this happening and, and the right to shelter was a nice, happy thing we're going to do because we're, you know, nice people. And, you know, that might all be true, but, but it's not practical policy. And, and we're seeing why that is now. That's really well said. So I wonder like the other side of that coin where now that you seem to have, well, people might disagree on solutions. There seems to be at least a more united front across parties of like, 
this is a huge issue that needs to be addressed on a federal level, whether, again, to keep coming back to these figures of Governor Keeley or, or Mayor Adams are saying, like, the federal government is leaving these cities and states, uh, hanging them out to dry, really. And as, as you said, like, the states are doing everything they can, but you just can't pull money out of nowhere for forever. Uh, do you sense that there would be any... Is there any push right now on Congress to try to deal with this issue? Absolutely. I mean, I think that there's always a push, but given how politicized things are, I don't really see that being realistic in the near future. I mean, I mean, who knows? But I, I think I think that really just things are going so poorly and people are seeing the lack of action and urgency on behalf of the president that a lot of the attention is there and a lot of the focus is there. And of course, it does fall on Congress to to draft and pass reform. But um, I think people expected the president to step up as more of a leader in these efforts. Yeah. And that seems fair based on the things that he had promised on the campaign trail and at the beginning of his administration. That seems fair that as you said, that he he said he was going to own this and he's going to have to in the next year. But I guess my question is, we haven't seen any attempts at comprehensive reform in a decade since we had that gang of eight back in 2013. And to read through some of those names now is kind of funny. It's Lindsey Graham and Chuck Schumer and Bob Menendez and uh, uh, Marco Rubio. But I guess, you know, Kareem, we'll, we'll see the Republican debate in two days and we'll hear all about those border issues. Like the, the things that you said about the terrorist watch list and drugs coming over the border and child smugglers, we'll hear about that on the stage. But I haven't at least heard who, who I guess, who are the leaders on, on Capitol Hill right now that are stepping up and saying, we need to put something together. Do those people exist? Um. I've I've heard of different I've read different drafts, but nothing that really caught on or that there have been folks who there were two congresswomen from Texas, I believe. Uh, I don't I don't follow a ton of the raw policy side, but but there I've read some drafts of things that have been proposed. Um, Asa Hutchinson talks about a state based solution. Um, it, it's something that all the all the candidates really bring up and talk about. But um you know, nobody is emerging as a big champion of this issue right now. And I think it just goes to show how politically tricky it is. Um, but I think that if somebody could come forward with a really great plan that addresses DACA, that addresses all the people present right now, that has some type of compromise on, you know, securing an amnesty, some type of balance there, uh, they could really, you know, be a breakout star. It's, it's just a hard it's a hard line to toe. Uh, and right now that line doesn't really exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think that's what's so frustrating from all of our perspectives watching from afar is that because it's so difficult and intransient, like the best solution politically is just blame the, the party in charge right now. Like it was easy for the Democrats to blame Trump. It's now going to be easy for the Republicans to blame Biden. And no one actually comes forward with a solution, which is, I imagine for someone that covers it like you, just incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and I, it it definitely is, um, because it's you know it's such a problem right now. But I think that there is a glimmer of hope in all of the misery across parties and all of the disapproval. I, I mean, President Biden has last time I checked, it was like a 34 percent approval on his immigration policy. Hopefully that means that there is a big group of people who are ready to come to the table and sit down and figure this out. Um, so, so that's my, that's my long shot hope from, from all the misery. <laughs> well, we certainly appreciate that. Like a little optimism and hope. Do you, like, I guess in the, in the near term, obviously there's, as you said, there's mounting political pressure that's coming. What do you, what are your predictions for the coming months really? Um, numbers are still going up. They're reached. They're they're nearing record levels again. So that is just in the context of the primaries going on. That's going to be a really big topic. And I think inevitably, whoever is the nominee um, is going to have to be able to articulate exactly how they're going to undo this mess or or address it. And one, it's it's just difficult to to really get into the granular on that because of. Like I said, there are some lawyers who have no idea how widespread this, you know, all the different measures that have been used are and, and you know, who's using what and, and what that's going to mean going forward. But um, I, I think that if somebody can step forward with a real vision uh, and, and talk about 
and create, you know, a straightforward, some straightforward talking points on what the problem is now and how we're going to fix it and how that can toe the line again, between, you know, being practical and being welcoming to the people here, but also securing the border, then that will help them really stand out. Um, especially in the Republican primary, I think, um, you know, Trump wasn't great on immigration either. So it would be great to see, uh, one of the, the challengers really step up and, and, uh, present a plan that, you know, is, was better than his and certainly better than the one now. Obviously, immigration is is always sort of on on the minds of politicians as they talk. But I'm wondering in your reporting how you feel the sort of like where it is falling in terms of like the issues that people that voters are concerned about. Obviously, we're we're seeing some uh, sort of unprecedented levels that, as as you guys have both mentioned, are are stressing different cities beyond the southern border that hadn't really felt it before. Is that going to sort of put a new onus on politicians that hadn't been there in the past? Or do you feel like it's still economy and kind of everything else? I think it's definitely going to be a bit. I mean, it's always a big issue. It's always one of the top five, top three issues. Um, And I think it will certainly be a top three issue in this election. Um, Just because so many, I mean, you're going to get your Southern state, Southwestern states who always largely vote on on this issue or, or heavily consider it but now you're going to have a lot of you know new yorkers thinking about it bostonians people in chicago people in dc this is really spreading far and wide so um i think it will be more of a decisive issue than it's been in the past yeah i hope so because like without i think ricky was kind of driving at this unless you have it from the electorate then politicians just aren't going to talk about it and they're not going to try to solve it because if, if people are all saying like what's dominating it's the economy and inflation and Ukraine and scandals, right? That's mm-hmm. what politicians are going to talk about because that's what the electorate is telling them they care about. So I, I hope we get what, what you're saying is, is happening. I think that would be great, like systemically for us. Um, all right, Corinne, uh, thank you so much, Corinne, uh, for, for joining us. Uh, if people wanted to follow you, where could they do that? Oh, um, I'm on Twitter and that's basically it. I have a low profile. I, <laughs> Not active on Twitter either, but now and then you can get a tidbit. <laughs> all right. But you could also, you can go and look up her stories on uh, either if you, if you subscribe to the Wall Street Journal or if you can subscribe now to the Boston Globe or you yep. can, yeah. I, I will say I'll, I'll put in, I think all, all of her articles on immigration, I think are worth reading for the depth uh, and the depth of knowledge and like the compassion with which you cover the stories. But uh a particular plug for the, I forget what the title, I don't want to miss it. It was like New Immigrants, Same Church, um, was a, a really beautiful article uh, about the church that you go to in, in uh, New York that I would highly recommend to people if they if they can only pick one. I thought that was a really beautiful article. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. All right. Well, we will certainly be keeping an eye on this topic and uh, we appreciate you joining us. I think your perspective and really expertise on this was fascinating. It's going to leave Ricky and I with a lot to think about and talk about. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. This is great. Yeah, thanks. Wow, that was impressive. Uh, and really just a whirlwind of information. You can tell, I feel like we plugged Karina as, as an expert and then as within like, two minutes, I was like, oh my goodness, she's maybe even more of an expert than I had realized. And a tribute to her, her career is, like I said, still young, but to be such an expert on a topic that is so complex and so critical right now is really impressive. So I'll definitely be keeping an eye out and we can certainly encourage all our listeners to keep an eye out for her reporting on this because clearly it's worth reading. But I feel like it just gave us, it, it taught me a lot, that conversation, and also gave me a lot to think about. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely echo the, the fact only a handful of years out of college and like uh, quite a bit of real impactful experience. Um, it was, I yeah, yeah. I mean, where do you want, where do you want to start about some of the things that she talked about? Because there's, there's a lot in there to unpack. So the thing that stood out for me is how serious of a problem this is because 
I feel like we talk about this a lot in a political and policy perspective from like a kind of a high level, like, oh, immigration. Oh, it's like I, I'd said it in the interview with her is like, oh, it's it's an election year. It's back in the news. Right. The, the one party that's out of power is going to be criticizing the party that is in power for like not fixing this. But then when you listen to her talk about and talk about the tens and hundreds of thousands of, of real people that are struggling in these in these states and then how these cities and states are straining at their seams money wise shelter wise healthcare wise education wise and like in in ways Ricky that are unseen to many people it affects all of us right i think it's and it was maybe easy for people in the more northern cities to say like this isn't really our problem and to say i think she did a beautiful job saying like look it's really nice that People all over the country want to help migrants, understanding that they come from very difficult situations in a lot of cases. But that's just not sound policy. And what we're seeing is like this lack of coherent policy at a national level strain cities and states to breaking points all over the country. Yeah, I mean, this is immigration is is certainly one is one of those issues that like couldn't be more necessary for the federal government to handle then and like literally this is what this is, this is what they're there for right like we've had this is now i'm going a little rant here but like what the republicans in the house have been saying is like congress doesn't really do anything every like we have this impending shutdown and bob good from virginia was like i think that's a good thing because congress doesn't really help anything anyway and it's like all right i mean i generally understand that we need smaller government but like one of the critical things that you are supposed to do that you have like plenary power over is immigration and you guys just haven't done anything about it for like general like a ge- several generations since the ni- 1964 immigration act yeah well i mean i i think i think part of the issue and i totally agree with what she's saying in terms of you know, the number one priority has to be to sort of secure the border. I think to a degree that that is less tenable or less attainable than, than people are, than we sort of talk about, right? Like we had the Trump idea of like, let's build this ginormous wall. He got about 50 miles of it done, but it's like absurdly expensive and has not really been that effective. And we know about tunnels and we know about ladders and we like we understand that there are that our border is porous for reasons beyond just that, like, oh, when Democrats are in power, they don't care as much about securing the southern border. And there could be something to like the non heavy handedness. But I think just in general, it's a taller task than people realize to do it in the way that we have wanted to. And so that's why something like this idea of like the temporary work permits um, is an interesting one to me. I'm a little disheartened that it's relegated to only a certain population, but in general, I think like this is, when I think about the immigration problem, I don't think about the problem being that people want to be here and that people are somehow getting in here. I think about the problem being that People are getting in here, some through legal means and some through illegal means, but the vast majority through illegal means because the legal means are so convoluted. You can't understand what they're asking. Even if you do, that your chances of getting selected are so small that to me, that's the bigger problem that we're not dealing with because we have a workforce problem. Like we have labor shortages all over the place and we're not having kids the same way that we were 50 years ago so the only way to deal with that is a net influx in migration and we're like we're not talking about that as a solution i think there are you know things to be said for how do we do it safely how do we make sure that it's not drug cartels and sex traffickers and you know whatever else i think the vast majority that's not that's not like who's coming in. And if we have more avenues for people who want to come in here and like she said, be productive members of society to do so legally, then the ones who are doing so illegally will have an easier time to identify them right off the bat. It's like you're crossing the river for a reason and not because you feel like it's your only option because all these other options either don't make sense 
or like are are basically impossible. Like we have a lot of ways of holding people in Mexico, making it like very difficult to acclaim asylum. We do a lot of things to prevent people from migrating here right now. And I think the idea that someone could come in and figure out a way to like make a better fence or something to really stem the tide of immigration. I, I don't, I just don't know that that's possible. Yeah. So I think a few things there. One that this is requires both short-term and long-term term solutions because like we're dealing so some of the things that you're talking about are like this comprehensive reform, which I, I agree with. And that's those are like years-long solutions where really what we in my opinion, what, one of the things we mainly need to do is be investing in these countries where these people are coming from. Like how, how do we figure out ways to invest in El Salvador and, and Honduras and Nicaragua and Haiti and and how do we get you know relations with Cuba or Venezuela in places where we don't have tens of thousands of people coming to our border every single day because they can't live and work safely in their countries? And so like that, but that's a solution that's going to take a, you know, years if 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 it happens at all. It's a solution like that. But the problem is that we have people right now. We have thousands of people right now in Boston and thousands of people right now in New York. And so we also have to have solutions for those things. And so like the temporary work permits, I know uh, Kareen wasn't like thrilled with that because as she and I talked about it, right, it just feels like, oh, we're patching something there and we're patching something here. And like, that doesn't make any sense comprehensively, but it's also like, you got to do something, right? Like we, like, I think Massachusetts is spending something like $45 million a month right now on, on migrants. And New York has spent $2 billion in the last year on like, that's, that's insane. We're, we're us like taxpayers are paying these people to stay in shelters and they can't work because of this bottleneck and the system is just overwhelmed. And that's, again, this is both a, a, a legislative and an executive branch failure. But the fact that like, we can't process the people at the border. We can't process work applications. And so it just, we're in this like terrible, terrible cycle. Yeah. I, I mean, that little insight, which I think is uh, potentially like, or, it, you know, rings the light bulb is obvious, but something that I wouldn't necessarily think about that she brought up is that, like, we just can't even process the amount of applications. And also people are submitting like five applications because they don't know which one's going to yeah. go through and work. And they're, yeah, you know, probably filling them out different ways, different times. I'm sure like there's, there are certainly a lot of just transactional issues that we have here, but I still think. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you here because I just want to provide some numbers from one of Kareen's articles about that. So during last year, 2022, there were about 700,000 migrants that were released through like humanitarian parole. I mean, that, that's a, a staggering number. And, and what people have said is that it takes them roughly five months to be able to apply for an employment authori authorization document, even after they've been granted like this humanitarian parole. And it's on average a year before they might even get like a hearing on their humanitarian parole. So what, what we're saying is exactly what you just said and the, the strain that Kareen was talking about was that we have people waiting around 700,000 people that are waiting around up to an average of a year who many of whom perhaps most of whom want to work actually and cannot do so sorry keep it yeah, yeah. Oh, well I mean but I I think that the obvious solution that that people think of is well we have to stop the people from coming here but I think that that's E like easier said than done. But what is easier is figuring out ways to get them into the workforce, because we know a lot of jobs that are typically in, like that typically employ new immigrants like restaurant work or, you know, construction or things like that, that we have labor shortages in a lot of those areas and we could use the help. And it's that, so now it just feels like, okay, we're just like sort of shooting ourselves in the foot here um, because we have this horrible, we have one situation that's horrible, an influx of cities with people who are basically now dependent on the government through no, not necessarily a choice of their own, like they're coming here to work to live the American dream. And instead, they're like, well, you can't work because you don't have status. And so it, it I yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you guys both hit the nail on the head that it has to be some kind of comprehensive reform. I worry that the 
the easy thing to focus on is just the number of people that are arriving. And I think you certainly can talk about, well, if you give certain number of people work permits, that just makes more people want to come here. And it's like, well, they weren't getting the work permits before and they were still showing up. So I'm not really certain that all of a sudden our, you know, 1 million a year is going to turn to 5 million. It's, I, I yeah, I, I, I think that the other stats that I think about and I, and I hit you with a pop quiz, you did not, you did not respond to is that the like wh- where do you think we rank in terms of population density we're the third most populous country on on planet earth but where do you think we rank in terms of population density like out of the 200 countries that exist yeah quite low uh i will say 150th yeah i don't i don't actually even know because they didn't get down that far we're 37 or so people per square kilometer. And obviously we have cities like New York City, Boston, whatever, far more densely populated than the average United States. And I'm not suggesting that we should aspire to, you know, Hong Kong levels or Singapore levels of population density. But the thing is, we have space, we have people who are interested in working and we, in our median age, like census after census, is increasing, which means we need more people at the bottom to pay the social security for the people at the top who are living longer and longer. And this is like the, like whether we want to agree with the math or not, this is an issue that we have that immigration is actually oddly enough, uniquely suited to deal with if we are willing to say, okay, we need to come up with a solution that actually lets more people in. We just have to be able to deal with them better once they get here. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I actually just did a quick Google because you asked me a question that you didn't have the answer to, apparently. So we're, we're 148. So great guess by me. But to your point, that's exactly what you said. I think the problem is that 83% of the United States lives in cities right now. And so like that's where those places, those people are going, understandably so, because that's where most Americans are going. And so even though we have a lot of physical space, what in actuality, that's that's not really what's happening. Yeah, no, certainly. But we have space to like, you know, each state has urban areas that are more or less very differently densely populated, like New York City versus Louisville, Kentucky. And many of these places could benefit from like building up additional infrastructure. Like once people are there, they don't just take, they also provide and any, you know, money that they make, they in turn are spending in the community. And I and I think the problem is it, it goes back to like beyond what you guys started talking about, but really where you ended up, which is that this is the favorite punching bag of both sides uh, of the political sort of spectrum. And so there's almost a disincentive to solving it because it's like a very unique thing that we have every four years that we can, hey, yep. just by the way, you didn't fix this problem and it's all your fault now. Yeah. No. Yeah. As she said, President Biden, like that's he's going to have to own this. I think she said that correctly because he said that he was going to. And, and But everyone that, does, right? Like every exactly. single president does and they've never, no one's ever owned it. Yeah. But I think what was that, what this is what I was trying to get at is like, what's been frustrating to me is that there doesn't even seem to be any impetus to like solve it. Right. That's what I was trying to get at. Like, are we hearing this on, like on the Republican stump speeches? Cause I'm not, she seemed a little bit better and she's clearly more informed than I am. So maybe it is out there a little bit more that I'm seeing it, but I haven't been hearing it and seeing it from, from what I'm reading and watching amongst the Republican candidates. And on the other side, there's no, I don't see any Democrat leaders stepping up and, and providing plans either. And I do think I want to go back. I, I joked about this, but that gang of eight, 10 years ago, this is, this is Ricky where like, we joke sometimes that we have rose colored glasses every episode, but like, this is where this was 10 years ago. And we had eight senators, four Democrats, Michael Bennett from Colorado ran for president, Dick Durbin from Illinois, Bob Menendez just indicted from New Jersey and Chuck Schumer. Now this, the, uh, the, the leader of the, the majority leader in, in the Senate from New York. And then the four Republicans were Jeff Flake from Arizona, who retired, uh, and John McCain from Arizona, who obviously passed, Rubio from Florida, and Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. But like that that passed the Senate, Ricky, 68-32, that, that it, was, it was comprehensive in, in uh, immigration reform. And would it have solved all these problems? No, but would it have made it better? I feel like almost unquestionably because we haven't updated our system in 50 years. And it just feels... And I think Karine kind of said this. She was just like, it feels intractable today. And that's 
that's another problem where not only can we blame the other people, but this is such a, a, a difficult thing. It's like, like I said, another like, terrible cycle where because it's so hard, no one really wants to own it and dig in on it. But then that just makes it even worse. And so what's far easier just be like, well, it's his fault. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, you, you mentioned the numbers on what it passed the Senate at, but like what happened in the House? wasn't even taken out. Right. So, and we know, I mean, and, and partially we know why, right? Because it was a Republican run house and giving Obama a victory on immigration was an absolute non-starter in 2013. Sure. Sure. And that that's like, yeah, this is, this is the most proverbial of proverbial. Oh, wow. I can't say that today, but you know what I'm trying to say of political footballs, like there is because of how effective it is in terms of getting people like riled up, but not riled up enough in terms of like action. It's more just like anger and disappointment. Yeah. So I, I one question for you, and I kind of got this, I was asked to train this too, was this was this idea was floated that like, hey, Jersey, maybe you can take on some of these migrants. And Republicans were obviously obviously against this, but Democrats came out and were on mass against this too. And I, I just want to read you a quote from, it was in Atlantic County. Uh, and the Democratic chair there said, quote, I don't know what the Republicans were expecting, but I think they were caught flat footed when the Democrats took a similar position that they have. And uh, so like, and like that was like, oh, well, you think you don't want migrants here? Well, we don't want them either. <laughs> yeah. But in, and he he went on to say, he was like, I think our position and like the reporter pressed him on, they're like, well, that like you're just claiming that you're the same as Republicans <laughs> like is that that's the winning message <laughs> and the reporter's like well we don't the uh, county chair was uh, was like well we don't have the xenophobia that they do and I was like I was like well that's this is the high to me the height of already but I, I'm curious your perspective because I certainly am like have been like see this is where all of you people that said that, that like Trump was this monster because of, of his immigration policies and all these Republicans were bigots and xenophobes. All of a sudden, now it's not in my backyard. I mean, this is this is case in point, the biggest problem with Democrats just in general is that whenever the problem comes to their doorstep, they don't actually are they're not no longer interested in how to solve it. I think it's very it's very disappointing, but you see it all across the country and issues of immigration, certainly, but like what to do about homeless and homelessness and or houselessness or whatever. Like it's, it's always, yeah, but not here because I've made my very nice little community here and my schools are good here and it's safe here. So, uh, but like, I think you should do something about it. And obviously part of me, like they're like, as much as like, it's kind of laughable to say, yeah, yeah, we definitely don't want them here, but we're not racist about it. <laughs> like, is is wild um but maybe like in some ways they're like not, maybe not, maybe not, not openly oh yeah maybe i'm just gonna leave that there but like <laughs> uh yeah it's it's disappointing i i understand the and this is for politicians has always been the sentiment it's like we don't know how to how to deal with this problem like even if we wanted to we just don't know what the answer is and all I can think about as a politician is somehow it's going to go wrong and bite me in the ass. And so it's way better. Like I have enough problems that I don't know how to solve. I'm yep. not going to add this one. And that's, that is disappointing, especially for people who want to profess to believe the things that they believe on immigration. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, right. it's it, remind, it reminds me a little bit of when, President Biden was giving Vice President Harris like her, her portfolio at the beginning of their time together, and immigration was one of the things on it. And everyone's like, "Whoa, wait, wait don't don't be giving that to me!" <laughs> and and uh, like all, she didn't say that obviously, but like all the people, like the unnamed sources, like her advisors, were like, "That's this is a losing issue." Like we wish that he hadn't put it in her portfolio, but that's probably why he did it. He didn't want to own it either, you know. I uh, which is when you have the leadership at the top, both of them were playing hot potato with it. That's not great. But I will say one thing that. Crean said is that this this is an opportunity for Republican candidates there. And there are not many opportunities, but you can put on you can hang on Trump two things. One, that the immigration policies that he did have in place were not particularly humanitarian. And two, 
immigration got worse under his tenure. Like he, he spent he spent all this money and we the problem not only wasn't solved, but actually made worse. And so you would think for people trying to break out, my girl, my girl Nikki, or some of these people that are down that are down, like Asa, for example, like why are they not making this an issue? And I mean, who knows? It's it's not too late to do so, but that I would I would like to see someone try to do that. Well, I mean, I think the problem though is for both Democrats and Republicans, they like the 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 solutions, quote unquote, because I don't think any of them are the actual solutions, are none of them are palatable to each other's like base. Like Repub- no Republican can go forth and be like, all right, well, we need to deal with a lot of people that are here now. And the idea that we're just gonna send in like these DEA doom squads to like round people up and ship them off is Fantas talked about like he was going to like send like bomb people yeah. in that. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, you have multiple, the, the, like multiple Republican candidates saying that, and it's like that clearly doesn't make any sense. But that's what's going to get the cheers at their at their rallies. Not like uh, I think maybe like some kind of a balanced approach, where, like we give some. Yeah, no, that's not interesting. And and this is yet again where we get stuck in American politics because like a lot of the practice, like exactly what what Karine was saying, like the practical solutions that we need to be talking about, I think are just going to be so hard to talk about because people aren't interested in them. They're not like the political winners. And so in many ways, like I'd almost like rather not have a huge presidential focus on this and be something that Congress can somehow quietly do after the election. Yeah, I mean that's a yeah, a pipe dream. A I know. I just like that's why I was asking Karina. I was like, can you name give me some leader? Give me, give me one. Like I like I don't care what party they're in, if that what branch they're in, just give me somebody that's gonna try to own this issue. I don't know. I, I do like that she was hopeful at the end. I was like my 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 kind of girl there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I guess in some ways, like she was pointing to like this is a diff this is different than it has been. Right. And yeah. like that could be something that pushes people in a way that they hadn't been pushed before. Because, I mean, in my own small little bubble, it's not something that I had ever, you know, thought that Massachusetts would be declaring a state of emergency about. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, that may, that maybe is like legitimate hope there. And Fingers crossed. Yeah. I can't tell if this is like the presidential election year is a good time or a bad time for this to be happening, but... We'll see, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> we shall see. All right. Uh, thank you to Karine for joining us again. I uh, would certainly encourage everyone to go check out her work. It's uh, brilliantly reported and beautifully written. And keep an eye out on on her in, these, in the next few months and years, because she certainly seems to be an expert in an area where we need more of that. Yeah, her just objectively, her writing is, is great very easy to read and does an incredible job just telling these like important stories that had just have to be told. So as always, we feel tremendously lucky that people like Karine give us their time and we hope everyone enjoyed. Thank you as always for listening. Until next time. See you, buddy. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day No agenda, not yet Talking heads, running around till we forget where it was we began Some mornings you were away, some morning left your ego bruised but what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find In a case of lion's hands Folks of different minds Because even though we did not share The pains we share That American ideal Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way but to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better than a ram 
Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten Values sometimes being wrong Some mornings you away Some morning let your ego bruise But what I wouldn't give For the hope I used to find In a case of lion's head And folks of different minds Because though we didn't share Opinions we share Like American ideals Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz There's hope behind the bluster Cause though Main Street may not sell It's full of folks just like you and me When we have trouble seeing The human for the politics It's time to find a better way to disagree Some days you win, some days we'll leave your ego through. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find and chase the lion's head. And folks are different mind because though we did not share opinions, we share that American ideal. Friends made over arguments and an early morning buzz. Oh, what I wouldn't give for. The hope I used to find in a case of lion's head Folks are different minds Because though we did not share opinions We share that American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz